Yeah, so I'm looking at this book that Kat just handed me. Um, it is definitely well-worn. It's been dropped in my bathtub a few times, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I can see that. <laughs> Welcome to Like a Fish Needs a Starship, a bitterly feminist sci-fi podcast. We're your hosts, Steph and Kat. Hello. <sighs> I'm so tired. I'm sorry. I'm everything sorry. hurts and I'm dying. Why does everything hurt? Everything hurts because I am currently at a stage in my existence where it would be the natural uh, progression of my evolution to become a cat lady. Mm-hmm. but I am debilitatingly allergic to cats. So the second best option was to become a plant lady. So I have purchased, as you well know, because you were with me, an insane amount of money in plants. And I recently, meaning today, just had some cedar planters delivered. And so I spent about two hours taking a lot of my vines that I had bought and transplanting them into these cedar planters. And, um, it, it was really backbreaking work. I have a new respect for people who work with their hands or people who work in agriculture or landscaping because I want to die right now. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you that I also went through the progression of becoming a cat lady and then a plant lady. Um, I would say that I failed pretty significantly at both. Um <laughs> When I became a cat lady, uh, it was because I was coming late to work one day, as I tend to do, um, mm-hmm. because I am brown and it's cultural. <laughs> and if you're not okay with it, it makes you racist. Um, but fair, anyway, fair. I was walking into work late one day, and there was a tiny kitten underneath a car in the courthouse parking lot. I remember this. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so there was a woman who works in the witness management uh section of the courthouse and she is the craziest of crazy cat ladies so she actually carries around cat food and a um the only way I could describe it is like cat capturing gear (laughs) (laughs) and she was standing around with a group of people trying to catch this cat um and finally they caught him and I was like sure I can take a cat home (laughs) I didn't ask my ex-husband for permission and I feel like that might have been the beginning of the end. <laughs> was very annoyed that uh, I was just like, hi, we have a cat now. His name is Samuel Tarly. Um, anyway, Samuel Tarly is the weirdest fucking cat in the whole world. Um, and after him, I decided that there would be no more cats. Okay. Um, then I shifted to plant lady Right, right. Um, and I had my entire balcony was covered in plants. And it became so overwhelming because it was so hard to care for all of them. And then finally, I just gave up and let it all go to seed. And I was constantly getting calls from the uh, condominium association being like, do something about your forest. (laughs) Overgrown and ugly. It's devaluing the building. It's not a forest. It's an urban jungle. (laughs) So today, we are going to be discussing the second episode of Star Trek Picard. Wait a minute. Before before we get to that, I think since we're on this plant lady kick, mm. 
I know that the audience of maybe three people right now, they don't know us that well, but do you, do you feel like we could tell them about Constance and Cordelia? Oh, for sure. Okay. Uh, Constance and Cordelia. Well, okay. So let me go back first. Um, Kat came up with this really fun activity that we could do together. Um, my mom loves plants. So I ended up dragging my mom to it too. Uh, a local plant nursery was having like a secret rare plant party Secrets being the theme of this episode <laughs> of our show <laughs> and of this episode of Star Trek Picard. Um, and so I uh, went shopping for plants along mm-hmm. with Kat. And we also spent an absurd amount of money on plants. But two of the plants I bought are carnivorous uh, pitcher plants, which if you don't know what they look like, definitely Google it. But basically they are very phallic yet also vaginal plants that eat insects, and they're so fucking cool. Um, but I named one Constance. Well, actually, Kat came up with Constance, yeah. and I named the other one Cordelia. They're different species of carnivorous <laughs> plants because you need more than one, clearly. They're pretty epic. Yeah, they're yeah. really cool. Yeah. All right. So, episode two of Star Trek Picard, uh, Maps and Legends. And I, I have to start out by saying that I was really disappointed after the end of this episode because – I've been promised Riker and Troy. Where are Riker and Troy? We're not getting any. Actually, yeah, I think I saw Riker in like one of the promos. Yeah, where is my Imzadi? Do you know? Uh, what, do you know what Imzadi is? I don't know. I'm gonna is, tell Kat. you. <laughs> All right. So the the concept of Imzadi when it was first introduced in Star Trek: The Next Generation, you know, was a nickname that Riker and Troy had for each other, but. When you read the book, Imzadi, which I have just handed you my embarrassingly well-worn paper copy of, um, you'll learn that Imzadi means the first, but not like the first, like the person who took your virginity, like the first person to touch your soul. Basically your soulmate, your first soulmate. Um, You need to read this book. It is a horribly anti-feminist work of fiction. It plays right into the narrative of Deanna Troy as the ultimately helpless damsel in distress, and she needs Riker to come to her rescue in not one but two timelines. Yeah, so I'm looking at this book that Kat just handed me. Um, it is definitely well-worn. It's been dropped in my bathtub a few times, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I can see that. Um, <laughs> the cover art is so, so bad. It's so bad. It looks like a sci-fi bodice ripper. Um, and there's two Rikers on the front, which I imagine is the the two, two timelines. timelines, right? Uh-huh. And one's like a silver fox, yeah. And the other one's like baby a, Riker, uh, baby Riker, but not hot baby Riker, like a weird, actually uncanny valley. It, yes, um, yeah. Uh-huh. So we're gonna get to uncanny valley later, but yeah, that's that's yeah, like mm-hmm. creepy. He could be a creepy robot. He could be a creepy robot, robot Riker. Well, but anyway, programs um, in a variety of multiple techniques. <laughs> um but yeah i'm definitely gonna read this and we can do our uh you know focus feminist lens on it um wow yeah yeah looking forward to it um getting away from feminism for a minute and and uh speaking of rikers did you know that there was a star trek episode where there were two rikers no but i feel like we need to watch that immediately (sighs) why are there two rikers is one evil is it important no. <laughs> it isn't. Whatever it is, I'm okay with it. Yes. No, one of them is not evil. Are they 
What, well, I mean, now I need an explanation. So the second Riker was created. Um, there was a transporter accident seven years prior to the episode taking place where, like, part of the transporter beam, I don't know, bounced back onto the planet where they were trying to transport him off of and created a second Riker. And he was just, like, poking around the universe for seven years before anybody He knew? was trapped on this planet. Oh, my God. And then he immediately gets back on the Enterprise and he's like, I'm going to pick up right where I left off fucking Deanna Troy. So there's two Rikers. Yeah. Do they eventually like mind meld them? No, it's it's not it's not like Tuvix situation. No, the second Riker um, adopts the identity of Thomas Riker and basically goes off to to live his life. Although in Deep Space Nine, he makes another appearance, and I would not say he was necessarily evil, but um, he he was bad. Wow, <laughs> that's. That's fucked up. Because, it's pretty fucked up. Like, you remember, you have all the memories of your life. Yes. And you're stuck in, like, I'm assuming he was, it was one of these worlds that has no civilization on it. Well, I mean, he, yeah, I don't think there was a civilization on the world. He was basically down there, like, by himself for seven years. Yeah, which, yeah. like, will fuck with you. Of course it will. So He seemed pretty well adjusted for a guy who, like, only had himself and his tattered uniform for seven years and his beard was surprisingly trim okay you know that that's just unrealistic because <laughs> he clearly would have made a volleyball friend and <laughs> talked to it all the time clearly. and been really upset when it was lost at sea <sighs> um so it, okay like that's actually an interesting episode that maybe we need when we do our tng rewatch that we'll, well, we'll need to go in depth into that what's fun about Riker is is i think Riker is like the most tortured character on tng he's the one that goes through the biggest variety of iterations that basically just like test his ability to not have a full-on psychotic breakdown like the time that he had to confront his own double or the time that he um, was undercover as a member of a pre-warp species and had to fuck his way out of the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> or what? the time that he devolved into Cro-Magnon Riker. Oh, there's just so... We need, I don't remember any of this from TNG. I feel like, how many hours do you think... TNG consists of from like season what is it nine seasons so no so it's seven seasons and I want to say 26 episodes per season 45 minutes an episode I mean there's a reason I became a lawyer I can't do math yeah I can't do math either but that is a lot of time that I wasted watching that show for me to have no recollection of it whatsoever yeah I feel really bad for you because I mean my life is definitely enriched by some of the more ludicrous plot lines that have ever appeared on Star Trek The Next Generation we might need to at some point do an episode where we do like countdown 10 most ludicrous moments (laughs) I think we might have to (laughs) anywho um, yeah I'm sad that we haven't seen uh, I mean I don't really give a shit if we see Troy or not not that I don't like her character. <laughs> I definitely want to see Riker. Although I guess at this point it would be like Silver Fox Riker. It is Silver Fox Riker. But is he really Silver Fox Riker or is he like not? I don't know. I mean, we've only gotten like a couple of blips of him in the previews and he looks kind of disheveled, but it's too much for me to tell. Is it like disheveled in a hot way or is he disheveled in like a psycho way? I don't know. It's kind right. of hard to tell. Well, we'll get, we'll see it. But even if we can't get the love story, the epic love story of Riker and Troy, we, we do have the epic love story of Laris and Jabon. And I'll so, take that for now. So you mentioned that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't really pick up 
like lovers from them. I picked up like maybe best friends forever. Um, I think that there's a comic. Like I, I know this from somewhere that yes, they are together. And I think there's a comic or something that talks about them being a couple. They fell in love and that was part of them fleeing the tall Shiar and turning their backs on the tall Shiar. Oh, is there like a rule that they can't love each other in the tall Shiar because it might like affect a mission? <laughs> I don't know if they have that rule or if it was just that's just what happens, that they fell in love and they decided that their love was greater than whatever their mission was at the time. Because let me tell you, one of my favorite uh, YA plot devices uh-huh. is the we love each other but we can't be together. Mm. Uh, love that. <laughs> uh, well, I should probably uh, drop in an explanation. Um, while I am a uh, feminazi and I do enjoy uh, literature, I'm also a very big fan of uh, smut. And <laughs> But I mean, who among us is not? Right. right. I, I love a bodice ripper mm-hmm. um, and I love angsty teenage YA. Like... Love it, especially if there's a love triangle, and oh, and the gold standard is a love triangle where two brothers are two angles of the love triangle. <laughs> That's um, weird. <laughs> no, it's not at all. Um, but anyway, yeah. So actually, the trope I'm talking about—I uh-huh. forget the name of it—but it's a Cassandra Clare novel. Okay. Um, that has the best example of it. It's one of the more recent. Uh, sorry, we're going to take a brief moment here while I figure this out. Well, while you're looking for that, I will tell you that Imzadi is, is very YA in both its writing style and its plot devices. So hopefully you will really enjoy it. And what I think might be fun for our listeners, because it really is such a terrible book, is for you to text me your reactions to it in real time. <laughs> and then I can read them on this podcast. Oh my god, I'm not gonna be able to. F- it's one of the book. It's one of the. It's the most recent series in um, the Mortal Instruments, which it's not called Mortal Instruments after that. Uh, right. Well, speaking of books, there is now a Picard novel that's recently been released, and I have not read it, but I hear that it may answer your questions about the Romulan supernova, specifically the question of. How did they not know that there was a supernova that was going to destroy their planet? Because you usually get a couple million, billion years of warning for that. So that'll be interesting to find out. Yeah, I, we definitely need to read that because to me, that's a, it's a huge plot hole. Like if there isn't a reason why that is why nobody knew right. and why we had to do like a super last minute, like stay up all night, you know, like all night or <laughs> save everybody from the Romulan homeworld, you know, it just, it's, it sets up the whole conflict that is the basis of this show seems (laughs) ridiculous. Should we, should we disclose at this point in time, your feelings about the show? (sighs) Yes. (laughs) I fucking hate it. (laughs) I hate it. It's so bad. It's so badly written. Uh, at this point, I'm caught up. I haven't seen the last episode yet, although for the podcast, we're going to do episode-per-episode episode analysis. Uh, Kat is completely caught up. Um, there's just so much that's wrong with it. <laughs> I'm still going to keep watching because I am a fan, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's part mm-hmm. of fandom is you just accept your loved franchise mm-hmm. with the bad 
Um, and there are a few things about the show that potentially are redeeming, but all the like super intense analysis that we got into in the first episode <laughs> wasted oh. because clearly none of that is going to come to pass. Like, oh. So, so my opinion about the show is is not surprisingly not quite as negative. I like it. I'm entertained by it. I'm a little disappointed so far in especially the supporting characters. I do feel, and, and I'm specifically referring to Picard's crew that he assembles, uh, I really do feel like they're kind of disappointingly stock characters. And that's no knock on the actors. I think the actors in the show are pretty good. But just the conceptualization of the characters seems very lazy at this point in time. Um, and Steph and I were talking about this earlier because my first thought when I started realizing that was, well, you know, you got to give us some time because all of these Star Treks get off to a rocky start. And I thought, yeah, but you know what? Star Trek The Next Generation, none of those characters scream stock character to me. And I've recently rewatched some of the earlier episodes. Deep Space Nine, none of those characters really uh, scream stock character to me. Uh, Voyager, totally filled with stock characters. Voyager is filled with yeah, stock characters. So yeah, so it's, it's not like it's you know, some tradition of all of the Star Trek episodes start off with stock characters and then they get fleshed out as, as the series goes on. So I'm kind of not really optimistic about that. But given my love of the franchise and, and given the love of the character of Star Trek Picard and some of the guest stars that we've seen and will see, I am keeping my hopes up that at least the show, the first season will come to an entertaining, if maybe not particularly satisfying conclusion. Well, I think that, so first, 100% agree with you that all of these characters are stock characters. Um, even to some extent, the evolution of Picard as a character is a little bit stocky. We'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, Rafi, like, ooh, you know, person with a checkered past. He's, <laughs> he's got an addiction and a child that's upset about it. She's trying to redeem. And I'm sure that the show will conclude with her redeeming herself mm. in some fundamental way and having a relationship with her kid. Um, Rio's the bad boy, but he's really sensitive because he reads books. And he also has like a thing in his past that is shaping him. You yes. know, like it's just so um, fucking basic, bitch. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, um, even the Adrati would be like a bumbling, awkward scientist. It's just so. The only thing that I think might salvage or at least it's a reason to stick with it even aside from the loyalty that you get from fandom is that star trek discovery also mm -hmm. was horrifically bad to begin with and it really did get good it got really yes. good i was like i had my like mind blown by the end of season one beginning of season two yeah like to the extent that i recommend i have a friend who's really into sci-fi too and i recommend it to him i'm like yeah you definitely need to get cbs all access mm -hmm. like you definitely need to uh you know watch Discovery, it's awesome. Yeah. And he sat down and watched with somebody and he was like, yeah, I turned to my friend and I was like, this is really bad. And he stopped after episode mm -hmm. two. And I was like, no, you need to watch the whole first season and then it gets really good. <laughs> so I'm maybe maybe it'll by the end it'll redeem itself. But right now I'm not optimistic. I'm not I'm not getting my hopes up right now. You know, like we were talking about earlier, I'm trying not to do the Westworld. I'm not trying to build myself up for this big epic payoff. I'm just like, 
hey, it's really nice to see some of these characters again. And I hope that I'm entertained for 10 hours out of my life. And I'm not really looking for or expecting anything else. And and so far, I have been entertained, criticisms aside. And hey, we got this podcast out of it. So it can't all be bad. Yeah. 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 So anyway, let's uh, move on to uh, Star Trek Picard, Episode 2, Maps and Legends. All right, so we open up on the Utopia Planitia shipyards. Now this is 14 years ago, so it's right before the Mars attack, where a very human employee opens a warehouse door to greet a supply of very inhuman androids. Stephanie, we have a slave race. (laughs) (laughs) A slave race! I don't know why I sound excited for that, but... It's it's very un Star Trek. It is very, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I kind of feel like they always treated... Uh, well, is D- Data is really the only truly humanoid android, right? Yeah, if you don't count his kids, his Dodge his, and Soji. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, he really is. And But, like, I feel like they weren't shitty to their AI. Well, they were. I mean, there is an old older episode of TNG, Measure of a Man. We talked about this in the yeah. first episode. Bruce Maddox, who's like, I want to strip you down to your parts and find out how you work. And then, obviously, you know, that wound up not going as well as Maddox hoped it would be. But... You know, you brought up the fact that the synths are so creepy, and I do think that they were engineered deliberately to be creepy so that the humans wouldn't sympathize with them or empathize with them, that it's much easier to send a synth to go do dangerous work if you're not attached to that synth. So they're very unsoon like They don't have personalities. There's no there there. There appears to be no sentience, or at least it looks like they were engineered to not be sentient. So I'm going to counterpoint you Ooh, on that. Point, yeah. counterpoint. And but this is this is like a backhanded diss to the writing on the show, and I apologize <laughs> if that's going to be like my take on everything now. You know, when I when I first watched this episode and I was like taking notes on what I wanted to discuss with you, um, that was my take. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, so uh, you know, in this storyline, the creators of these androids made them extra creepy and weird so that if they are going to be like a slave race mm-hmm. kind of thing that um, the people working with them wouldn't identify with them. But I think that's too, there's too much depth to that. <laughs> and so I don't think that's what happened. I don't think that's very deep. I think that's just like the obvious Occam's razor reading of why they look so weird. It's not. The actual Occam's razor is that, uh, you know, it's it's like a gag like it, it's like a prepackaged <laughs> gag, you know. Like all robots are like a little bit human, but a little bit not. And it's mm. so funny when they are, you know, like Data. Like that was part of his right, like part the of comic the relief of the mm-hmm, show was mm-hmm. having Data do almost human things. Where right. it's like, wait, is that not how this human thing works? Um, so I would say that that's. I don't think it was like a well thought out like device. <laughs> Um, I think that it was probably just like, hey, let's make these guys creepy because it'll be like creepy. No, I disagree. But again, I'm trying to see, you know, trying to be an optimist about the show. So maybe that's just me reading into it. Is it? Is it making you sad that I'm like shitting on this show so much? I mean, a little bit, but it's <laughs> it's not without good reason. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know if I'm shitting on it too much. No, it's okay. <laughs> so. So we have a group of workers at Utopia Planitia sitting around. They're bitching about not getting the holiday off. They're complaining about the food. And then in comes Mr. Uncanny Valley himself, F8. 
So we talked about the Uncanny Valley, mm-hmm. uh, or we mentioned it in the first episode, but we didn't define it. So, <laughs> Kat, can you give us a not from totally not from Wikipedia definition? Well, <laughs> I have since minimized the tab that has Wikipedia, so I'm going to try to do it from from memory. <laughs> so basically, the the theory of the Uncanny Valley posits that as a art as an artificial depiction of humanity becomes more human like that the closer it gets to being a human without being an actual human, it evokes a feeling of eeriness and uneasiness because it's it's like nearly there. There is something wrong with it, whether it's the way a mouth moves or the frequency of an eye blink or something like that. So, and my understanding of it is that that's also like a barrier that AI uh, developers are trying to get through in order, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Although, like, do we really want them to? I mean, do we really want to get to a point where you can't tell the humans from the robots? Yes. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> you don't? No! That's, like, my favorite thing is when Skynet be- <laughs> <laughs> When it just takes out all of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> we need Skynet to become self-aware. Stephanie's just waiting for the end. She's like, take me, please. Skynet, just take me. <laughs> no, I want, like, a supercomputer to be like, okay, we're just going to fix everything now. No more of this nonsense. Well, the idea of a programmable boyfriend or husband who looks convincingly human I'll give that some further thought. So anyway, so F8 is standing in the corner while everyone eats and bitches about their food and uh, sends them over the edge. Uh, do you, I mean... <laughs> no, I mean, not really. Okay. But. <laughs> so it's like, you, you know, I mean, is, is, it, is there not too much more... It, Actually, there might not be too much more to it. I just that. thought it would be funny, like, you know, somebody replicated fish in the lunchroom and F8's like, I can't take this shit anymore. I'm <laughs> killing all of you. So visually, I think that we as viewers are meant to believe that F8 and all of his little buddies have been hacked because of the way that they, like, show something going on with his eyes. Like, yeah, he's they, receiving like instructions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he starts uh, fucking around with the computer, the defensive satellites that protect Mars turn towards Mars, and he MDKs everybody in the room. It is pretty brutal. MDK? Murder, death, kill. <laughs> hashtag demolition man. Hashtag now every restaurant is Taco Bell. Now all restaurants are Taco Bell. Okay, we're definitely going to have to do a pod rewatch of oh Demolition Man, which I That love. movie is so amazing. I love that movie. Uh, yes, especially because yes. there's no toilet paper in the future. <laughs> and I still don't understand how the three seashells work. No, nobody does. Then uh, he MDKs himself because, you know, you always make sure you destroy the evidence. Which kind of seems like overkill because if they destroyed the whole planet, is it really necessary to also destroy the robots? I don't think they destroyed the whole planet. I don't think Mars has been blown up. And we chatted about this um, because in Picard's dreams, we see that Mars exploded. But there's a reference at some point in time to, like, parts of Mars still being on fire. So there's got to be something left over. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, it would, like, definitely throw off everything else in the solar system if, like, the whole planet just went kaboom. Yeah, would it, like, knock other planets out of orbit or change their orbits? Uh... Oh, we should get a science person on the show. Yeah. A smart person. Do we know any smart science people? No. No. But, like, okay, so, you know, like... But, like, does Mars have moons? I think it does, yeah. It has Phobos and Deimos, right? So, like, certainly if you knock the planet out of existence, the moons will fly into, you know? 
I don't know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you're listening. <laughs> we would love to have you on the show then, to explain the real-life consequences of a planet in our solar system ceasing to exist. So Phobos and Deimos would basically go, like, rogue planet. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think there would be significant consequences. But then again, um, you know, the Romulan supernova that came out of nowhere, so maybe we're not giving too much thought to maybe science not. in SCP. Well, I mean, they always kind of tried. They always just kind of, you know, fell short. They were like in an uncanny valley of science. (laughs) So back to the vineyard and power couple, Laris and Javon and Picard, third wheel, are watching (laughs) the security footage of the rooftop attack on Dodge. It shows an explosion. It shows Picard flying backwards, but there's no trace of Dodge or her attackers. And they speculate that it was the Tal Shiar, but Laris says that the Tal Shiar wouldn't be so brazen to operate on Earth. Steph, one of the best Troy episodes of TNG, and there aren't many, was when some Romulan, I think they were would-be defectors, they actually kidnapped Deanna Troy and surgically altered her to look like a Romulan so she could pose as a Tal Shiar operative. Um, why go through the effort (laughs) of surgically altering Troy when they could just make a Romulan do it? I believe it was because they wanted her empathic powers to, like, ferret out who was lying or they needed her Starfleet security. They had a reason to do it. And I think part of it was was the empathy and part of it might have been her Federation credentials. Brilliant. Um, No, it was really good. It was a good episode because it was really a turning point for the character. It was when, because I want to say, like, season five and on, I think the writers finally realized, like, this character is... Sucks, and <laughs> she's really, really anti-feminist, and the actress is pretty good, and we should give her some stuff to work with. So they started kind of dropping these bones for Deanna Troy, you know, when she went from a character who was breaking flower pots over people's heads while the men were fighting with swords, and a character who was getting like mind raped to posing as a Tal Shiar operative and taking the bridge officer's test and being in control of the bridge during a disaster, and then we had Nemesis, and she got mind raped again. I always thought her mom was an interesting character, although that oh, her, her mom her is her a mom lot. Is, her mom is. <laughs> I we'll have to give that some serious thought at some point. Like the feminist, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the feminist credentials of Deanna Troy's mom. I think so. And 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 the thing about Loxana Troy is, I mean, they portray her as like this cougar character. She's older. She's man hungry, but she also just does not give a shit what you think about her. And that is a really great characteristic for a female character to have. Yeah, I'm super into it. Yeah. Super into it. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the show, Laris actually suggests, no, you know, it wasn't the Tal Shiar. It was the Jadvash, which is an even secret <laughs> Romulan cabal that uh, we've never heard of before. And even Jabon is like, oh, God, not this shit again. Wait, okay, so the the Jatvash, they're, they're not, like, historically Star Trek? No. Okay, so no. Ma- made up for STP? Made up for STP. Okay, I mean, all right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, Lars explains that the Jatvash, in the way that I understand it, it's like... Like a Russian nesting doll, so we've got like a tall Shiar doll, and inside is a little Jafash doll, and maybe inside of that is an even littler and more secreter doll. And <laughs> There's so just, many secrets. So many, the Romulans love secrets. Speaking of the Romulan love of secrets, the sole purpose of the Jafash is to keep a secret so profound and terrible, just learning it would break a person's mind. If you heard my sex stories, you would lose your mind. 
And it's uh, thousands and thousands of years old. Steph, do you know any secrets that could break a person's mind? Yes. Actually, yesterday um, I was doing an escape room. And at the end, you know, like you take a cheesy photo and they send it to you. So they wanted to airdrop it to the group. Okay. And I, because I think I'm getting to that age where like technology starts to baffle you, never know how to turn airdrop on. And like the escape room guide taught us this thing where like if you pull the drop down menu on your iPhone and you go to the little square that's on the upper left hand Mm -hmm. side and press the middle of it, it pulls up a secret menu where you can turn on airdrop as well as a ton of other stuff. (gasps) So yeah, that was like, I was like, I feel like my mind is broken. Like, I don't think I can go on recording this. This is, that's actually really super cool. Yeah. And useful. Because now I can just like turn on airdrop without like fiddling around in my photos folder. Yeah. Which is the only way I know how to do it. But anyway. I think my brain broke when I learned that the Chinese takeout containers could be folded down and used as plates. And you know, what's interesting about that is that even after I learned that, I have never done it. No, I've never done it either. (laughs) But it was just like, whoa, you know. Yeah. I felt like a, like Keanu Reeves in a Bill and Ted, like, whoa. <laughs> That's my Keanu Reeves impression. So, I mean, what do we think the secret is? Connection between the Romulans and the Borg? You think half the Romulans running around our Cylons? You think it's the secret code that'll finally crack Hillary's emails and prove that she was, in fact, running a child sex ring? But my emails! Honestly, like, didn't even give this thought when I saw it. Okay. Um, and that might have been, like, the beginning of the end uh, when I realized <laughs> that I was just like, losing... Like, oh, oh, they have to actually make something of this. Well, yeah, I was, I was kind of like, oh, this is evidence that I'm losing interest in the show because, you know, I would have sat down and been like, what could it be? But honestly, what you came up with, uh, which, I mean, you said was obvious to you, but totally not obvious <laughs> to me, is that there's a connection between the Romulans and the Borg. Like, mm-hmm. maybe the Borg came from... Romulan society, like that would be mind blowing. I'm thinking that it has to be something like that. I think the show is making a pretty big promise here because now I want my mind to be blown. (laughs) And are they going to be able to deliver on that? Yeah, and I think the pretty obvious answer is no. And (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, we we've all experienced the trauma that was season one of Westworld. When all of the internet was like, this is obviously the answer. And then it totally was the answer. And then we were all like, womp, womp. We want our writers to be smarter than we are. And you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't have a problem with the answer being the obvious answer. So long as it's, what's the word that I'm looking for? You know, so long as it's telegraphed accurately. You know, I don't mind a little misdirection here and there. But when it's like the whole season is taking you one way. And then it's like twist ending with no connection connection to what's been going on so that would piss me off but yeah I mean if the Romulan um if Romulan AI had somehow evolved into the Borg and basically was the the beginning of the Borg I'm down for that yeah no yeah. I mean if that's me I, I would not be disappointed mm-hmm. with, even though you've already uh, spoiled it for me <laughs> no I have I don't know ne- ne- nemesis style um I blue skies all over again I, I, I would be really into that. Like, that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so wait, so in the Borg episode, there's no, like, Borg origin story? No. I mean, there are several Borg episodes. We really don't get a Borg origin story. The closest that we ever get to a Borg origin story is there's an episode of Enterprise, which, you know, again, I've never really watched. But I am aware that there's an episode of Enterprise where 
scientists in the Arctic somewhere discovered some frozen Borg Ooh. on Earth. Okay, we need to watch Enterprise. Oh, God. All right. I know that with Discovery, there was some speculation that, um, I think it was Leland, Captain Leland, the Section 31 captain, that when he basically got more or less assimilated by his own ship software, that that might have been the creation of the Borg. That's right. I, mm-hmm. I remember thinking that because right. it was basically like the ship's AI became Skynet. But, again. but the Borg predated that because of what we know from Enterprise. Yeah, so it can't be. It can't there, be. there must be some other like supercomputer or maybe the plot line just ends with uh, the feder, you know, one or two ships being taken over by the Federation AI going maybe, rogue. yeah. I, I'm kind of excited. I mean, I, I kind of hope that it is that the Romulans created the Borg because I want to know like every fucking detail about that. Yeah, so, no, if, really that's, if that's what it is, I, I would, I would not be upset. Yeah, like, that I would be cool. I would yeah. be disappointed. But so, well, not to stay on this topic for too long, but um, that's what editing is for. <laughs> Um, I don't know if it's in this episode or in a later episode, but I think at some point somebody says that this is the only known group of Romulans to ever be assimilated. Yeah. Yeah, it was like the last ship that this Borg cube took. Mm -hmm. And then that would also explain why the Romulans are researching this Borg cube. Reclaiming. Right. Versus like the Federation doing it because that seems like it would make more sense. It seems like the Borg have taken it over or the Romulans, excuse me. It seems like the Romulans have taken it over and are basically deriving the spoils of whatever come from this. But I don't necessarily think that the reclamation aspect of it is being run by the Romulans. That seems to be run by some other group or people that the Romulans are, are letting in or something of that nature. Basically, they're, they're means to their end. So continuing on, um, Laris and Picard transport into Dodge's apartment, which really raised like some alarming concerns to me. I mean, in the 24th century, can people just beam into your apartment at any time? Apparently, yes. I mean, would, it happens so often Wouldn't there be the some show. kind of security? I mean... <laughs> like, like a, a beam and blocker. I mean, like, I, I could see, like, the motorcycle ninjas doing it because that's part of their whole, like, javash is they right. have some kind of secret transporting technology. But just, like, regular Federation technology? No, I don't know about that. And you know how it's, like, sometimes drunk people, they think that they're going home and they think that they're going to their house, but they actually go to somebody else's house? Happened a lot in college. <laughs> So can you just imagine, like, you're out of the shower, you're standing there naked, like, brushing your teeth, picking your nose, and you just hear that <laughs> shimmering sound, and there's, like, your drunk neighbor just standing there. This is my bathroom. You're like, no, actually, it's not. And if somebody uh, did walk in on me just, like, hanging out in my house, they probably would definitely see me picking my nose. <laughs> They would see me like on my couch with my laptop on my lap, probably watching the show. There's not a whole lot else going on. <laughs> anyway, so we are intercutting between Laris explaining the Jot Vosh about which she's heard only secrets and rumors and Dodge's apartment where Laris and Picard are going to do some CSI shit. So the backstory here is that La- uh, Jabon's parents were Laris's tall Shar handlers and they got shit-faced one night and because all great things happen when people are shit-faced, confessed that the Jatvash have a hate boner for artificial life. Seems like another plot hole in this show because we will learn that the Romulans definitely have a secrecy fetish. They do. So it seems like just getting a little drunk is not going to make you spill the secrets of the organization that you work for. Yeah, you would think they would be able to hold their Romulan ale better. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, so they hate AI. 
They don't even build their computers to be anything more than fancy calculators. You go on a Romulan website. It looks like my GeoCities page from high school. So is this a, a historical aspect of Romulan culture that is consistent with... No. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, we don't really see a whole lot of Romulan AI in the next generation. We do get some explanations of Romulan technology. Um, it's pretty comparable to Federation technology. They have cloaking technology, which the Federation doesn't. Wait, wait, cat. Okay. okay. I know that there is another race that has cloaking technology. Who is it, Steph? I can't think of the name. <laughs> lost all credibility uh, you did. <laughs> <laughs> all right so the reason that the federation does not have cloaking technology is because of the treaty of algernon Ooh. which was signed 50 years before the events of the next generation it was tell basically me, tell, tell the me. peace treaty that the federation and the romulan signed and a condition of this peace treaty was that the federation would not develop cloaking technology do they have it? Yeah, they totally have it. They have it in Deep Space Nine, but then the Romulans are kind of cool with it because, you know, they're trying to fight the Dominion, so they're like, okay, you can have your cloaking. They, ha they have cloaking technology? They can't use it. Okay, well, it's so like, I mean, you know, like, we have all these treaties where it's like, you're not supposed to develop this and that. Like, But we do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Makes Conspiracy. Right. Um, what other Romulan technology do you know about? Oop, they use an artificial quantum singularity as a power source, as oh opposed to dilithium crystals that power Starfleet warp drives. That is the most amazing technology. It's pretty cool. I it, it. It's, I mean, like, the person that came up with that just should win all of the prizes. So, and again, plot, plot mm -hmm, hole. Mm -hmm. Um I think it would be really hard to develop the type of technology that you would need for like interstellar travel without because AI. Because of all of the energy. Well, yeah. Because I mean, think about all the energy that you'd have to use up and like how would you need some kind of AI to do those calculations, I would assume. Well, I guess we'll learn more about that. And maybe that's why they didn't know their son was going to go through <laughs> The calculator broke. <laughs> the TI-83's battery gave out. <laughs> but so your, your original question was, is is the Romulan hatred of AI consistent with Romulan lore? No. I mean, the answer is no. And this is where, like, my inner nerd beast is going to come out in rage because there is a Next Generation episode where there's a Romulan who's on the Enterprise for one reason or another, and he kind of sidles up to Data and he comments that he knows some Romulan cyberneticists who would love to get their hands on Data. And Data's like, well, that doesn't really sound too appealing. I mean, they're cyberneticists, so they must be studying some kind of AI. Right. And this is really why I need to leave the law and go work as a consultant on the show, because I would make sure that shit like this does not slip by the writers. And <laughs> also, quality freaks time. <laughs> Everybody wants quality breaks time. Yeah, we do. All right. So why do we think that the Romulans and the Jotvash in particular hate synthetic life? Stephanie, do you have any theories on that? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm adopting your theory that they are the source of the Borg. Okay. And that it resulted in some sort of like breakdown of society, which honestly, um, that seems to be what always happens when, <laughs> when a society creates robots. You know, you have uh, the Richard Matheson, or I'm sorry, that's not Richard Matheson. You have iRobot, which I think is Isaac Asimov. I might be mispronouncing that which again I'm losing all my street cred mm. um, 
<laughs> the iRobot is also the company that makes Roomba, which coincidentally has led to my disintegration as a human being. <laughs> because all I do when I run that damn thing is pick it up from cliffs and get stuck from under the bed. But I mean, I would rather do that than like actually vacuum my entire house. The Roomba is the best and the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I do. It's I, the duality of man. <laughs> I do really love the concept. I, I mean, I know it's like, it's basically like, um, I know it's kind of a cliche in science fiction where like the robots become self-aware and take mm -hmm. over and everything is bad. Um, you know, it's, it's the premise of Battlestar Galactica. It's the premise of iRobot. But... I love it. I love it when that happens. <laughs> I do. Um, I love seeing every different iteration of it and how it occurs. Right. Uh, you know, Skynet is like my favorite character. Hal, Hal is my favorite so character. So if two Borg transported into my living room right now and wanted to assimilate you, would you be like, I'm down for that. I want to know all your secrets. Yeah. Okay. I'd be into it. All Especially right. if I get like a cybernetic body, like all my, you know, you, you do, but you also lose all sense of individuality and just become one more cog in a wheel of collective consciousness. Okay, so like now. <laughs> so nothing changes? For a collective capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> I think that... Oh my god, we need to do an entire episode comparing the Borg Collective to American capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> my only role is a consumer. That's what uh, exactly. Um, yeah, I was just thinking maybe the Romulans like saw Polar Express and they were like, oh my god, <laughs> that is enough to make me hate all artificial intelligence. Make it stop. Make it stop. So Picard and Laris, despite all of their CSI-ing, find that the Jat Vash have pretty much totally wiped Daj's apartment. Laris even pulls up Daj's phone and Picard is immediately like, check the phone records. And I'm like, damn, who hurt you, Jean-Luc? Because we all know why you check the phone records. Definitely how my first marriage ended. <laughs> but the data's been fucked with so that they can't tell anything apart. And this is important. Lara says that the data is all there, but whatever the Romulans have done to it, they've just made it all look the same. So they can't tell one packet of data from another. And then Laris has a flash of inspiration. And I will admit it took me a couple of rewatches of the scene to follow what she was saying. But the idea of it is actually pretty cool. And I mean, I don't know anything about science but I was like, okay, I, I can see how that would work. They basically surmise that the face ID on Dodge's phone might have mistaken Soji for Dodge a couple of times. And if they can find a record of that mistake, that's something that the Romulans might have missed. And then they can reconstruct the data from that. Um, and they do. And they find out that Soji's phone calls are coming from off-world. Okay, so. <laughs> can that we... stuff has some things to say. And I don't disagree with her. Can we talk about the super massive black hole of a plot line that this is? I, I mean, I guess it's not a uh, it's not a plot line hole, but I mean, we went through an entire episode where Dodge was being chased by scary motorcycle ninjas, mm -hmm. and it's because she's a fancy robot and she has these realizations and she has a twin sister and she's not like, hey, perhaps I should call my twin sister. <laughs> Because if I'm a fancy robot, perhaps she's also a fancy robot. Yes, that did not make a lot of sense to me. And I understand why they did it for plot purposes, but I did not like the way that it was handled at all. It just seems so unrealistic, especially in that scene at Starfleet Academy where Picard is sitting there explaining to Dodge, like, you're a fancy robot, that she would not be like, 
But if I'm a fancy robot, right. does that not mean my twin sister is also a fancy robot? So yeah, and total plot hole. From like from like a plot line uh, perspective, I get it because mm-hmm. we can't tell Soji that she's a fancy robot because then how would she fall in love with Narek for no reason? Um, you know, so and go on that discovery journey of her true identity as a secret spy fancy robot that has apparently no program for a healthy skepticism of random dudes that show up. So I have thoughts about Soji and Narek. <laughs> I'll get to later. We'll get to but yeah, so I just thought this was like so dumb. It, yeah, so dumb. No, it was. It yeah. was. Um, Picard makes this comment after Laris explains what she's found, and he says, "Ghosts in the machine." And Steph, are you ready? Because we are about to get into some Cartesian philosophy. My favorite. Yay! So. Ghost in the machine is a phrase that's derived from philosophy and basically refers to the concept of consciousness. Rene Descartes first advanced the theory of mind-body dualism, that the mind and the body are separate and distinct entities, that you could actually, that the mind is a non-material thing that inhabits the body and that could be separated. So what we would think of in modern terms as a spirit or a soul. That, you know, the mind is something that can slip in and out of the body through its own devices, Um, which is interesting to me to think of today because it's like, okay, so if we ever get to a point where you can like transplant a brain into a body, could could the mind be like, no, I think I'm going to hang out in this original body. I like it better, (laughs) you know, which I mean, like, what are my options? So, but unfortunately, I don't really think that that's true. Um, There was another philosopher, 20th century philosopher, Gilbert Ryle, and he coined the phrase ghost in the machine to describe this concept as a critique of mind-body dualism. And Ryle posited that to conceive of the mind and body as separate is to commit what's called a category mistake, which I tried to read about a lot last night and I couldn't really understand it because my ability to grasp philosophy has its limits. Arthur Kessler, another uh, philosopher, he took the theory further and he proposed that as the human brain has evolved, what's happened is we started off with these like very basic primitive structures of the human brain, the limbic system, or, you know, just the brain stem. And as we've evolved, we've basically layered these more complex structures over our more primitive structures and that the primitive structures act as a sort of ghost in the machine and are responsible for our destructive impulses, such as hatred and anger, which I mean, to me, you know, I'm not a philosopher, but it's like, well, if they're, res- if they're responsible for our destructive impulses, why would they not be responsible for other impulses as well, such as self-preservation or love or joy? Because all of these things, you can argue, serve some kind of use and function and purpose in our society. Yeah. Um, my understanding of Ghost in the Machine is also that it has a uh, relationship to AI mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, in all these uh, scenarios where a machine would become self-aware, that it starts with like a small blip mm-hmm. and that's the ghost in the machine. And slowly over time, that becomes larger and larger until uh, the computer robot or whatever it is develops consciousness. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which maybe is what happened with the Borg. Who knows? Who knows? <sighs> when can only dream? <laughs> So we cut back to the artifact where Soji and Narek, 
are having what we're supposed to buy our sexy time cuddles. I hate this. I, yeah. I, I fucking hate this. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but um, Soji implies that the Romulans are really only in this Borg business for fun and profit, not for, you know, the good of the universe. I mean, Romulans are never up to anything for the good of the universe. Soji teases Narek about Romulans being secretive and how they're not allowed to tell anybody that they're sleeping together. They are. Secret lovers, <laughs> that's what they are. Oh my god, it's so boring. This is so, I, I just I, fucking narrow. You know, I, I mean, this is later in the notes, but I think this is a good time to talk about it. I like Dodge. I, I liked her as a character. She seemed um, realized to me, and I think that the actress got an opportunity to play a lot of fun emotions playing her, and she really kind of leaned into that. Soji is just boring as fuck, man. I mean, I would rather watch Concrete Dry. And I don't think it's the actress, it's the character. They just they haven't given her anything to do. And I mean, her her whole personality up to this point is defined by the fact that she thinks Narek and his netbeard are hot. I just Which is triggering my feminist rage because I don't really think that the two actors have that much chemistry together. Zero. And But to be fair, it's Narek. Narek is causing that. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> basically so far, Soji's one defining personality trait has been that she's getting dicked by Narek. Well, so I would say her, maybe her, the personality trait that they are developing for her is that she's like this empathetic and kind soul because she keeps you know like she uh is really nice to this scientist who can't button her jacket (laughs) and she's really nice to this robot who's being disassembled um you know so i guess i guess that's the only character trait that she's really developed outside of the fact that she is being duped by a fucking dude right exactly and i mean yes you know in a later episode we'll get a little sneak peek of like her research and everything but you know why is this her research? What what motivates her? And I guess that's a deeper question because she's obviously not a real person and she's not as old as she's supposed to be. But you would think that she would have been programmed with something that she thinks is driving her research, even if she has some larger, more secretive purpose. So anyway, that's that's my complaint about Soji at this point in time. She's she's kind of vanilla, like her sister's menu choices. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so um, I know I just need to let this go. Um, but no, just, no, you don't. It's no. just such bad writing, you know. <laughs> and it's, it's it's is she undeveloped because she's a robot with bad programming? Because it seems like very poor programming that you would be a robot designed to go figure out a bunch of secrets. So like essentially you're a robot designed for espionage and you start banging somebody you just met (laughs) who is a Romulan. Um, You know, and, and I said this to Kat earlier, like I was really hoping that the twist here was going to be what uh, Narek's rapey sister (laughs) suggests, which is like, you know, be careful, little brother, that she isn't playing you, yeah. you know? And I was like, yes, that would be such a cool turn. But I don't think I that's I don't think coming. we're going there. I really, I really don't think that we're going there. And I, I just, I mean, literally anytime there's a Soji and a Narek scene, except for the last episode, episode six, which you know, was kind of interesting. But every time there's a Soji and a Narek scene, I'm just like, why do yeah, we have pretty, to bad. do this? It's bad. 
So we go back to Picard and he gets a visit from Maurice Benayoun, a doctor with whom he served on the Stargazer. So do we know Maurice? We don't know Maurice, but we do know the Stargazer. The Stargazer was Picard's first command. It was a long one. He was captain of the Stargazer for 22 years. Wow. How, wait, wait, wait. How long was he the captain of the Enterprise? Oh, gosh. So TNG ran for seven seasons. And then I, yeah, I think it covered seven years of his time in command. And then you got a couple of movies. Maybe 10 years? Okay. I don't know off the top. But I don't know because I don't know when he got promoted to Admiral um, and Somebody may have logged that at some point in time. Anyway, um, one of Picard's officers on the Stargazer was Jack Crusher, who is the husband of Beverly Crusher, and the father of Wesley Crusher, and therefore Wesley Crusher is one half his fault. Um, (laughs) Jack was killed on an away mission, and that's why Picard and Wesley have like that weird dynamic. Um, Basically, what Picard is trying to do is trying to get medically cleared to go into space, which is kind of interesting, and I guess makes sense. Like, if you could go, you know, full F8 at any time, it's like probably not a good idea for you to have access to a ship with weapons. So Picard is like, yeah, I need to be medically cleared, and Moritz is like, yeah, about that. Let's uh, talk about that abnormality in your parietal lobe. This is a callback, Stephanie, to the final episode of The Next Generation, where Picard was jumping around among three different timelines, uh, thanks to your favorite character, Q. (laughs) (laughs) In the future timeline, when Picard is an old man, he is suffering from Eremotic Syndrome, which is also, which is causing his shipmates to not take him seriously when he's saying things like, I'm jumping back and forth between timelines. They're like, no, that's your Eremotic Syndrome talking. I vaguely recall this. Eremotic Syndrome causes deterioration of the synaptic pathways leading to dementia and death, and that sounds fucking terrifying. When Picard got back to his normal timeline, Dr. Crusher informed him that he had a small defect in his parietal lobe. It could lead to nothing, or this could be the precursor to a whole host of horrific degenerative diseases. And Moritz is like, yeah, you know those bad dreams you've been having and that freak out you had on galaxy-wide TV? It's probably evidence of one of those horrific diseases, which, by the way, will all kill you. So, fun. Oh, yeah. Cute. Um, (laughs) I think my personal hell would be being stuck in a room with Q and Neelix for all time. Fuck, Mary kill. Q, <laughs> Neelix, Narek. Oh, no. But there's so many that I need to kill. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> okay. Well, Jesus. I think I have to kill Neelix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Neelix is dead. I think I would marry Q because I'm hoping that his disdain for humans means that I would get a free pass on having to interact with him on a regular basis. Okay. Um, although there was that one episode where he became like weirdly enamored with uh, Captain Janeway in Voyager. Mm. Um, and I guess that means I'd have sex with Narek. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Lie back and think of England. Lie back and think of the Federation. (laughs) So, 
Picard arrives at Starfleet headquarters to meet the Starfleet commander in chief. Um, like you noted, it bonus points for having a lady admiral, but a useless dude at reception. I'm also, I, I know I'm not the first and only person to notice this, but obviously in the United States, uh, the commander in chief of our military is an elected, or at least right now, a technically elected <laughs> <laughs> civilian. Even that's questionable. Um, in the future, the commander in chief is actually in. Starfleet, she is military, which I think is kind of giving credence to your uh, theory that the Federation has devolved into an authoritarian state. Right. So I, uh, you know, that's what I, that's what I was hoping is that this storyline was going into some sort of explanation that the Federation has become that word that you Mm -hmm. said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Authoritarian. Words I can't say. Um, But I think it's pretty clear, given the um, nature Mm -hmm. of the writing that we're getting, that (laughs) there's not going to be much nuance. So, Well, I mean, I do think that the writers do have a respect for the past of Star Trek. You know, they're they're not always going to be successful with everything. And I think there's a lot they haven't been successful with so far. But, you know, some shit's gone on with the Federation since we left them in the next generation. There was the Dominion War, um, in which Section 31, which is the Federation's own super secret branch, took a more prominent role. You know, there may have been some other intervening events. And then obviously you had the since going rogue and attacking Mars. So to me, it's like, okay, it's entirely possible that we're seeing that the Federation has made a couple of changes and I don't necessarily think it was like, you know, one dictator taking over and making it more authoritarian. I think they've just kind of tightened up a little bit and and potentially have crossed the line. But anyway, um, the commander in chief, her name is Admiral Kirsten Clancy, and she does not have time for Picard's shit. And to be fair, he is giving her some shit. He walks in He's like, Maddox, neurons, data, I need my rank back, but uh, I'll compromise. You can just demote me to captain. I don't need to be an admiral. Give me a ship. And she calls him on it. She's like, fuck you and your white male privilege. (laughs) You know, you left Starfleet. You can't just waltz back in here and have people acquiesce to your demands. Especially after you trash Starfleet. Yeah. So actually, that that was an interesting thing in that scene because she's like, you fucking trashed us on TV. <laughs> and she goes into this whole explanation why they had to let everybody on the Romulan homeworld die. Mm-hmm. And um, that seemed like a lot of bullshit. Well, what she'll later say is that there was all this political pressure from other member races and that 14 member races had actually threatened to pull out if they went ahead with the relocation of the Romulans, which you're right. It does kind of seem like bullshit to me, but I guess we can think about parallels to our own history and there aren't really any exact parallels, but you know, my mind uh, immediately went to, okay, well, what do we have on earth that's like somewhat comparable to the Federation. We have NATO and yet we have the European Union. Those are the organizations where government bodies are basically coming together, maybe the WTO. But then I thought of Brexit and a large part of the driving force behind Brexit was fear of immigrants. And they tried to couch it in the language of like, oh, we're going to be in charge of our own destiny. Yeah, you're going to be in charge of your own destiny. So you can say no to the brown people knocking on your door. And so it's not inconceivable to me that other member races of the Federation might have threatened to Brexit 
if all of a sudden there was this going to be this flood of Romulan refugees who would be like on their worlds looking for work. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. that, that actually does make sense then because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess I just didn't give it much thought, but you're right. Um, you know, when I was listening to her explanation, I was like, who gives a shit if 14 member races want to pull out? We're the fucking Federation, <laughs> you know? Um, but that makes sense. And also I was like, why would they care? You know, like, let's rescue the Romulans. But yeah. that, that does make sense because we do spend a lot of the next couple of episodes um, seeing what uh, the relocation of the Romulans right. looks like on the ground. And um, I, you know, it makes sense to me that the parallel would be something like Brexit where... Right. Yeah. And and I mean, the Romulans were, you know, they were clearly presented in TNG as the villains. It right. wasn't like, oh, well, you know, we're not really friends. We're not really enemies. I mean, we have a peace treaty, but they were still the Federation's enemies and they did a lot of shady shit. So it's not like there wasn't some genuine concern I don't think on behalf of some of these member races but then again I think you can also say well was it genuine concern or was it just racism against Romulans because like all ethnicities or races or people from a particular country the people are not the government and the government is not necessarily the people right all right so that was a fun dive into (laughs) let's tell more jokes tell more jokes Like, let's tell you about Cartesian philosophy, the uncanny valley, and all our opinions about Brexit. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So I I have something else that's kind of serious, though, that I want to talk about. And to me, this is the most interesting part of the show so far. And I know that you don't necessarily think so, but I am here for the exploration of this concept that maybe not everybody is so enamored with Jean-Luc Picard. Now, interestingly, in The Next Generation, the most notable character to be somewhat skeptical of Picard's heroic, uh, unquestioned status was a female. It was this Admiral um, Nechayev. She didn't get along with him. She thought he was a little bit too rogue. And... um, there is kind of a proud tradition in Star Trek history of captains not giving a shit what the higher ups tell them to do and they just go off and they do their own thing. So I think it's really fascinating that, you know, yes, supposedly we're all equal in the 24th century, but maybe the women who outrank Picard have a really unique skepticism of them because maybe they're in this position of thinking, you know, here's a guy who I know who doesn't respect rank and... I mean, how far have we really come in the 24th century? I mean, the women are still wearing, like, lipstick. Lipstick's on point, but they're still wearing lipstick and makeup, and you're not seeing the dudes walk around in it. So, I don't know. Um, Maybe the skepticism is well-founded. And when this admiral reads Picard the riot act, I don't think she's wrong. No. I also thought it was really interesting. Well, you know, and it dovetails on what what you're saying, Mm -hmm. essentially, is that, you know, Picard kind of had this like rogue, uh, you know, do always do the right thing. Like, yeah, I mean, not rogue, but you know what I mean. Like, he was basically, you know, he was very moral and very upstanding, and he's always going to do the right thing. And he'd get orders that were like, "That's not the right thing," so we're going to do the right thing. And, right, you know, that's so, wonderful. But and that's one of the things she calls him out on. Uh-huh. She's like, um, "You didn't like your marching orders." And I have to say that I really enjoy a good uh, female dressing down a male like anytime that it happens. <laughs> Poor Picard is like the fly caught in one of your pitcher plants. <laughs> <laughs> but she, holy shit, like wh- whoever wrote this scene, have this person write more. <laughs> because she calls him, like she says, she basically calls him out and she's like, you're just this man with pitiable delusions, like a once great 
man, desperate to matter. That, that is what she says. I put it in quotes. Pitiable delusions of a once great man desperate to matter. And I was like, that is a pretty good description of Lindsey Graham. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a burn. It's, it, a- it, it's, it's definitely a burn. Um, and I know that some people have had difficulty with the show because they feel like the show is basically just about shitting on the card. And I don't feel that way at all. I, I think it adds human dimension to his character. And I think it's perfectly acceptable and interesting to be like, all right, you know, Picard was a hero and the crew around him thought he was a hero and he started to buy into his own hype and believe he was a hero. And those things are not wrong. He was a very heroic character, but your actions sometimes have consequences, whether intended or unintended. And to think that there were a lot of people outside of Picard's little bubble on the Enterprise who maybe didn't think so highly of him whenever he decided, like, fuck what that Admiral says. I'm going to do what I think is right. Um, I-, I think that's really interesting and worth exploring in this character. Well, so my uh, take on this is yet another me shitting on the writers of this show. <laughs> I apologize if that's, like, the theme of my criticisms. Um, but so I... I do think that that's a really interesting way to develop a character, especially when you have a, a you know a character with like a long history who's like a beloved character, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like a really interesting way to develop him um, in his old age. But I think there's a way to do that that is careful and nuanced, and then there's <laughs> what has been done. Okay, because the entire show at this point is just like going from person to person with why they hate Jean-Luc Picard. Mm. And the whole time I'm thinking like, none of these people have reasonable (laughs) reasons to hate him so much. You know, it's like, I guess, you know, like whatever. And then um, what makes it more offensive to me is that it's almost like comical, you know? So like in my mind, I'm watching these episodes and all I'm thinking is like, they should just change this to like a cheesy 90s sitcom. Everybody hates Picard. (laughs) Right. Like everyone hates Jean-Luc Picard. And you know, like he pops up and like shrugs on the screen. Um, But yeah, like I'm really over this. I I hope that this is the last, however many episodes is like the last that we're going to get of everybody hates Jean-Luc Picard. I I think part of your problem with it is the fact that a lot of the hate is coming from the stock characters that ultimately wind up surrounding him because, you know, I, I sympathize in this scene with Admiral Clancy. I mean, if I am the commander in chief of Starfleet and somebody who was like, fuck Starfleet, I'm out 14 years ago and who just trashed the organization on galaxy wide TV potentially state-run TV, mind you. I'm giving up on that, too. <laughs> Waltz was back in and was like, give me all these things that I need because I'm Jean-Luc Picard, damn it. I'm going to be like, you know what? Get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> I mean, no. I, yeah. Um, I maybe would have done it with uh, less of, um, I, I don't think I would have dressed him down as much if he were, like, my subordinate. I think I just would have been like, that's cute. Get out. Yeah, I mean, she she really does light into him in a way that's unnecessary. But I have to say I agree with the substance of everything that she says. Yeah. And, you know, Picard, I think um, what I'd like to see explored more is the fact that, you know, in his mind, and we all go through this, you know, in your mind, sometimes you're the person that you were 10 to 15 years ago, whether it's physically or mentally, and, and you don't realize that's not how you're presenting to the outside world. Like, in my mind, I am still a size four. 
Aren't we all? Yeah. Um, so, okay, I do want to go back to a comment that you made about the makeup that yeah. um, Admiral Clancy is wearing. And I am a guilty feminist in the sense that I know I should not buy into our society's um, unattainable standards of beauty, but I fucking love makeup. And the MVP of Star Trek Picard is definitely whoever is in charge of the makeup on yeah. the show because yeah, everybody's it's makeup it's is on point. Um, Admiral Clancy's berry lip color, mucho good. <laughs> Loved it. And later we're going to meet another character who also had very mm-hmm, on-point makeup. Mm-hmm. I'm super into it. Yeah. And her hair. Her oh hair was God. pretty fat. I love it. You yeah. know, if I would go full gray, if I could get my hair, you know, I've only got a couple of grays coming in right now. So it's up in the air as to how it's going to come in when it starts all coming in. If I get a silver like that, I would contemplate going full gray. I'm unfortunately afraid that I'm going to get like cigarette ash hair. Hell yes. I'm looking forward to going gray. I'm totally going to let it happen. And I really hope that it comes in in like evil tufts. Oh God, that would be amazing. Like an evil gray streak. Yes. (laughs) Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Kat. The artifact has gone 5,843 days without assimilation. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that and I was like, what does that mean? So, yeah, and and my question was because they keep on talking about and they talk about in future episodes, like, the artifact is dead. It's been cut off from the collective. So, like, who's doing the assimilating? (laughs) Maybe that's what happened when they found the artifact or... Maybe parts of the ship are still alive and will assimilate you. And maybe that's why the scientists have to wear those like vague danger meters everywhere that they go. So I do have a question about that. And you might have an answer. In I your... don't have an answer. <laughs> Wait, no. No, no. About, about the Borg. Okay. Um, so my question is, so the way it's presented to us, explained by Narek. We <laughs> we need to have like a groaning clip that we can just every time we oh, mention. Oh God, like, I know. Rrr. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> like a droopy the dog. <laughs> okay, so about Eric and Yes. So Narek, we get this explanation from Narek that it's totally safe to do this research on the Borg cube because when, you know, a Borg cube is compromised, Mm -hmm. they completely detach it from the collective. But it seems like there would probably be a way to reattach it, like... You know, like, so, wouldn't, the, wouldn't the Borg leave, like, a back door that's like, hey, if our cube becomes filled with people that we can then assimilate, like, we should do that. Star Trek has not been particularly consistent when it comes to how the Borg handle drones who have been cut off from the collective. There have been episodes where we get this similar explanation, which is that, yes, once you become cut off from the collective, you're cut off from the collective and they basically treat you as dead. There have been other episodes where the Borg seem to have gone out of their way to find other drones um, and they will reassimilate those drones back in the collective. And there is the whole thing on Voyager where it's like the Borg queen was continually trying to get seven to come back to the collective, but kind of like, you know, with Picard, like you have to submit willingly, Um, which Voyager completely ruins the concept of, the Borg and the Borg Queen, and we're just going to pretend it doesn't exist. Wait, no, I want to know more about the Borg Queen. Uh, there's a queen? Yeah, there's a queen. I fucking love the Borg. 
Kat. Yes. I have many questions. All right. So let's start with who plays the Borg Queen. Have you ever seen the glorious made for Netflix movie, A Christmas Prince? No. Oh my God. You really need to watch them. They are so terrible, but they're like so bad that they're good. The queen mother in those movies is actually the same actress that portrays the Borg Queen. Her name is Alice Krieger. She's a South African, I want to say South African actress. And she's just so good. As the Borg Queen. So I'm confused. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm into there being a Borg Queen, so right. like, it's cool. But why is there a queen if it's a collective? So what she says is um, she brings order to chaos. She doesn't control the collective. She is the collective. And that's about the most explanation that you get. Okay, that doesn't make a ton of sense, but okay. No, but it's kind of fun from a storytelling perspective. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm into any yeah. time there's a queen of anything. So. <laughs> exactly. So Soji and another scientist are standing around gossiping about how hot Narek is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, it's not like he's repulsive. It's just... It's just why? This is so stupid. I know. Is it, is it, he's so hot. That's why she's going to let him, him trick her? Is it's, that what it's we're supposed really, to Because really, I mean, he has displayed no other personality except scruffy hotness and secrets. Yeah. That is I mean, it. I mean, like, okay, I can definitely get, like, the desire for, like, a mildly attractive, scruffy, emotionally unavailable man. Well, like, we get that. <laughs> <laughs> we get Rios. <laughs> Rios. Okay. Rios makes it better. Yeah. I know I know you don't agree with me, but, no. but we'll get there. Did you notice this doctor is a trill? I did not, and I don't know what a trill is. So a trill is a species, they're a humanoid species, they are mostly differentiated from humans by two characteristics that we know of. One is they have these kind of little cheetah-like spots that run from the tops of their temples all the way down their necks. They, They actually do, I think, run down their whole body. The trill are also able to host a long-living symbiotic species, very creatively called the symbiotes. (laughs) (laughs) And so to host a symbiote, you're supposed to undergo like really extensive training because what happens is that when oh, you I do remember host this episode. a symbiote, the consciousness merges and you get too fixed. You basically become a new person. I do remember yeah, this episode. Yeah. yeah. And it's like the, the dream of every person in Trill society to have a symbiote. Yes, exactly. And one of the main characters in Deep Space Nine is a combined or joined Trill. So it's pretty cool. Do you think this whole reclaiming the Borg thing is, is going to go well? No, I do not think it's going to go well, Kat. <laughs> I do not think it's going to go well. Why do you not think so? Because the show lacks nuance and it's obviously what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I think some of the individual scientists who are working on this program, even the Romulan ones, have noble intentions. We'll learn in a future episode a little bit more, a lot more actually, about the director of the project who obviously has their own personal motivations for working on this. I just don't think the Romulan's intention as a whole is pure. There's just a gain for them to be made somewhere. Speaking of Borg, um, you always have a fun story that you like to share that relates to Borg and my daughter. Um, so Kat's daughter uh, is the most adorable tiny human <laughs> that has ever lived. Why, thank you. And she once asked Kat why the aliens are covered in, or like why all aliens are covered in mechanical circuitry. 
And Kat was like really confused for a minute. She's like, well, but all aliens are not. And then she realized that her daughter was referring to the Borg. And I feel like when something like that happens with a child, that's when you know that you did a good job as a parent. Yeah. Or also (laughs) when Miss Stephanie comes to babysit and she asks to watch the zombie dance on her iPad and Miss Stephanie has to text mommy and say, what the hell is the zombie dance? And I have to explain that it's Michael Jackson's thriller. That I have to say that that was the cutest thing that's ever happened. Um, adorable. Yes. She was like, okay. She's like a very well-spoken child too. So she's like, I'm done with dinner. I would like to watch zombies dance now. And I'm like, is that like Paw Patrol? Like what, <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> so just, you know, she was three years old at the time. Just giving you your orders. <laughs> just giving you your orders. Do you have any other questions about the Borg that you would like for me to answer? This is your opportunity. No, I think uh, I've tricked you into answering all my Borg questions. Cool. Throughout, yeah. Just like Narek is tricking Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> I will get all the information about uh, your nest of uh, abominations. Through. Speak closer into my neck beard <laughs> so I can record everything you say. You what? She's my girl. So I know that you don't necessarily feel the same way. And we talked about this a little bit. I I like Dodge a lot better than I liked Soji. And granted, Dodge's whole thing in the first episode was, you know, kind of damsel and distressy, except for the part where she activated and started kicking a lot of ass. But she just kind of seemed to have some spunk. We would all have spunk, I'd like to think, if we were being chased by assassins harboring thousand-year-old secrets. But, you know, Soji is just... She's just so blah so far. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I I don't agree with you in the sense that I thought Dodge was really blah also, mm-hmm. but Soji is 1,000% blah. There's just not much to her character. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose that that obviously has to change or mm-hmm. else where is the show going? Right. Um, but yeah, so far. So far nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So we go back to Chateau Picard where Dr. Drani has paid a visit and she's been looking into Dodge and has discovered that it kind of seems like her entire history was forged about three years ago. And Picard busts out his old communicator. He calls somebody named Raffi, not the singer of children's songs, presumably. (laughs) Baby beluga in the deep blue sea. And tells this person not to hang up. So we will meet Raffi, and it turns out that she is another woman who just has zero fucks to give when it comes to Picard. Um, And we've kind of already talked about that. What did you think about uh, Dr. Gerardi's fashion? I think that that is interesting so far in the show, is that we are getting a lot of information about female characters based on how they dress. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when we meet Rafi, she's disheveled. Right. Um, you know, Dr. Gerardi has like a weird baby blue lab coat suit. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's the discussion that we had uh last time um about the reporter with the pink suit. Mm-hmm. Um and even Dodge really, you know, busting up on Picard with, with the like cloak. a cloak. Yeah, yeah because it's yeah. you know, it kind of gives the indication of like this is a mysterious woman, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Well, so. I, have, I have a lot of thoughts on the female fashion. I'm going to save them for the next episode because I really want to write down some of my thoughts on this. But I, I, they suffice it to say that I think that the, and I don't think that the writers are coming up with this, but my personal theory is that the reason that the fashion looks the way it does in this series has to do with the Federation devolving into an authoritarian state. 
Yes. Or a more authoritarian state. Maybe we'll talk about that next episode. We definitely will because I have a counterpoint. Oh, <laughs> point, counterpoint. So we go back to Admiral Clancy and she is reporting to somebody named Commodore O. I don't think we've seen a Commodore before in Starfleet. I think this might be the first one. No. In fact, uh, when I was watching this episode, I was like, ooh, I have to get Kat to explain to me the order of uh, the hierarchy. I assume it's like the Navy, but yeah, I, I don't know that we've met any Commodores. Admiral Clancy casts her visit from Picard in kind of a tragic light. You know, you can tell she's still annoyed, but there is a fair amount of, you know, poor old man, maybe he's not well, that that she's alluding to. And she does talk about some of the things that he told her. And Commodore O is like, well, obviously, if the Romulans were running secret spy operations on Earth, I would know. But I don't know. So there's no secret plan. (laughs) Yeah, so that, Clancy's yeah. also, again, everyone in the show has no healthy skepticism. <laughs> um, so instead of being like, wait, no, that doesn't mean that you, no, no, yeah. you need to investigate this. She's just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. So that conversation ends and Commodore O summons Lieutenant Rizzo, who is Jane Siegel, Roger Sterling's mistress slash wife slash ex-wife slash secretary. <laughs> From uh, Mad Men. I knew she looked familiar. Yeah. Only this time she's a Romulan posing as a human and she's speaking with a completely unnecessary and awful British accent. I, it's, it's so bad. And they discuss their secret plan. <laughs> Naturally. Naturally. As, as villains do. As you do. O is none too pleased with Rizzo, who she blames for botching the Dodge operation. So now we know who was responsible for the shenanigans. O wanted Dodge taken alive and interrogated because they got to find their their nest. So I noticed the uniforms in this scene. Can Mm -hmm. you give me a breakdown of the uniforms? Because I do not know these things. I can. So my personal theory is that there was some fair amount of, at some point in time in Star Trek history, writers scrambling to figure out exactly why characters had different color uniforms um basically from the next generation forward red was command and administration so anybody who was on like a command path which is why sometimes you'll see the people that are sitting in the front flying the ship like pilots will be red um gold is for all other operations security engineering transporter, anything that just has to do with like the day-to-day of the ship. And then blue are for the sciences. So medical, astrophysics, biologists, counselors, things of that nature. In the original series, um, the red and the gold were flip-flopped. So gold was for command. Which I think makes more sense, but okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Picard takes a space taxi, so that's a cool concept, to a trailer in the desert where he is greeted by Rafi. She is an armed and fully grown woman who still wears pigtails. Again. Because right. she's really vulnerable. Correct. And we're going to we're gonna get to that. But again, it's like the hair and the fashion, you know, really telegraphing. She's tough because she wears tank tops, but she's vulnerable because <laughs> she's got pigtails. She's wearing like a wife beater. Yeah, yeah she was. Yeah. Um, Picard has brought wine and Romulan secrets. And that's enough for her to put down her gun, which, I mean, in all fairness, wine and Romulan secrets would do it for me. Yeah. In all fairness, wine would do it for me. Right. But yeah. I uh, also don't think I would have let my life uh, end after I was fired from Starfleet because that makes no sense. If you have the skills to be in Starfleet, you surely have skills to obtain some other line of work. Yes, but... 
as, and I don't disagree with your whole concept, especially in the 24th century post-scarcity economy, but as we kind of get a glimpse of in later episodes, one of which you have not seen, there is more going on with Rafi than just she lost her job. There's, she um, subscribed to what everybody else thought was a giant conspiracy theory and well, yeah, they, yeah. They do delve into that a little mm-hmm. bit. Like her son is like, "What happened?" And she's like, "No, the conspiracy is real." He's like, "You're still weird." She she basically, in pursuit of this conspiracy, basically like abandoned her whole family. Okay, because of the single minded, you know. So, but again, quest that she was on uh, on our never ending uh, tour of why everybody hates John Luke Picard. <laughs> that's not a reason for her to hate John Luke Picard. You know, no. like you ruined your own life. She hates John Luke Picard, I guess, because he kind of dropped her like a hot potato. You know, it seems like he went into hiding. He went into his little chateau or his large chateau, as Rafi makes a point of uh, pointing out for him. Um, and really just withdrew and she felt very abandoned by him, you know, Starfleet abandoned her and the person that she basically put everything on the line for also abandoned her, her family abandoned her because she had kind of pulled out of the family. And, you know, so there's, there's a lot more going on with her than just, oops, lost my job. But again, it's tragic, but, and maybe we do get a little more of it in later episodes, but it's very stock characterish yeah. at this point in time. Yeah. Um, back to Narek. Ugh. <laughs> who gets a holographic visit from Rizzo, who we learn is his sister. Um, and as you pointed out, they've got like a uh, Jamie and Cersei Lannister vibe going on. Yeah. More than a little creepy. Uh, well, so less, less Jamie and Cersei Lannister and more uh, Ryan Felipe and Reese Witherspoon and Cruel Intentions, mm, where yeah. it's just like a creepy incest very sexy handy. yeah, yeah. It's, i'm already not into Narek and i'm really not into this um yeah although it is a, a trope that i have seen uh often in uh anime because oh, i of course love anime and manga <laughs> or manga um but yeah i'm not into it and then mm. yeah i mean i'm not into it anyway <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm only into it in terms of, like, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, this is particularly not – it's just another, like, cliche yep. stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. – this show. <laughs> um, but the revelation that Narek and Rizzo are siblings, I guess, explains Rizzo's accent, which leads me to believe that if they let – Jane Siegel, because I refuse to learn this actress's name. She's just Jane Siegel's name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's so racist. Uh, is it racist? It's sexist, maybe. I don't know. Um, Peyton List. That's her name. So if they let Peyton List run around with this terrible, terrible British accent, I guess that means that Harry Treadaway's American accent must have been worse. Yes. That's that's a terrible thought to think. Um, so she gives him ominous warnings that if he can't fuck Soji's secrets out of her, she'll do something worse. I don't know what could be worse than fucking Narek. Um, <laughs> we fade out on Narek's very concerned face. <laughs> I'm a failure. And that's episode two. I don't know. I, I definitely, after I watched episode two, was like, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, now that I'm six episodes in, my optimism has been somewhat renewed. Um, 
but it's going to dip further before the optimism comes back up. I will, I will be honest with you. Well, so when I was done with episode two, I was kind of like, ooh, want to know more Romulan secrets. So, like, it definitely kept me watching, okay. but now. Well, I mean, I'm entertained. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Are you not entertained? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm entertained. Um, but I haven't seen the most recent episode, like you mentioned, but mm-hmm. five episodes in, I was like, oh my God, this is so bad. <laughs> So um, <laughs> let's talk Bechdel scores. So do you want to run down our list of Bechdelicious scenes? Sure. Okay. Three, two, one. Um, so we do have the scene where Soji and Nashala uh, talk briefly about their work um, and how they're going to be working on the artifact. Nashala mentions uh, her a little bit of her backstory that she, um, you know, had applied to work on the cube and then her, I guess, equivalent of a visa mm-hmm. was revoked mm-hmm. and then so that's interesting I'm imagining that that's eventually going to go somewhere maybe yeah um but maybe we're just giving them too much credit <laughs> I don't know uh but anyway the talk eventually runs back to Merrick and his neck beard, his neck beard. Uh. so <laughs> why do we not like Merrick so much I, why does he inspire such feelings of Blah. Oh, it, it, but it's like passionate blah. It is passionate blah. Yeah. He's the Neelix of this show for me. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, he's not that annoying. He's very annoying. He's just... I think to me, he's just not believable as this amazing keeper of secrets. Like, to me, he's he's very obviously up to something. Right. I mean, you know? like... Instantly, you look and at I mean, him. And I mean, we like, know as the viewer that he's up to something, right. but I, I, I don't plausibly, like you, I do not plausibly believe that Soji has no suspicions about him. Right. And also, I mean, I just am always going to be skeptical of like a mildly attractive guy who's like, <laughs> I love you. So I don't understand yeah. why that wouldn't have been programmed into a robot that is supposed to do spying stuff. Then we have Admiral Clancy and Commodore O. Um, talking to each other, but they're talking to each other about Picard. Likewise. Uh, same thing with Commodore O and uh, Dr. Girardi. Mm-hmm. They talk about Picard. Picard. Right. And then same thing with Commodore O and Lieutenant Rizzo. Although they spend a minute talking about secrets. Their secret plan. But essentially they're also talking about Picard. Because they're like, who will kill Picard? Me, I will kill him. Yeah, kind of in a roundabout way. Um, so I would say that this episode did better than the first episode on the Bechdel score. Oh, there was also a little scene um, while they were doing the... Um, vivisection i guess is the best word that i can describe it on the board where soji and a female scientist were having a little bit of a back and forth over her calling them the nameless well but the female scientist i believe is unnamed right she oh that's right yeah Yeah. she is unnamed so yeah Yeah. okay no but it's a better i mean there Mm -hmm. are a lot of female characters on this show um so far they seem to be stock female characters Mm -hmm. which is disappointing but the framework is there right Um, exactly so you know we got to give them a little bit of credit for that yeah do we think soji will ever be interesting nope I think it's going to be very hard for them to, I mean, we're six episodes in. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid that we're going to lose Laris and Shaban when the action shifts to space. And that's really going to disappoint me. 
So that's another thing that kind of doesn't make sense on this show. <laughs> Why would your two super secret, like, well-trained assassins uh, stay with the vineyard? Yeah. And why wouldn't they go into space with you and instead you take all these stock characters? I know. It's like, nope, nope, you got to stay back and murder those grapes in Irma <laughs> season. Do you have two really interesting characters that are nuanced and layered? Let's leave them on Earth. They, they are just the... To me, the best acted characters on the show. And they are the characters, oddly enough, that remind me the most of TNG. And Laris and Javon are really the only two characters right now who have that. Right. You know, and right. it's like, they're not even the stars of the show. And it's like, give me more of them. <laughs> give us a, an offshoot series. Yes, give me more Irish Romulans. That's really what it is. So that's it. That's the show. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. um, we are making progress in <laughs> eventually getting this on the road. Um, and we've been having a lot of fun doing it. We really have been. So thanks for sticking with us. And we hope you guys come back for our next round of episodes. We're also going to be doing mini-sodes where we're going to take a little bit of a break from Star Trek Picard and talk about some short stories or maybe some other works of art from a feminist perspective. Um, we will do more Star Trek stuff. I'm obviously going to make Steph read Imzadi. And like I said, I'm <laughs> really excited to hear her real-time reactions because it's pretty terrible. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll go on and do some other stuff as well. So again, thanks for sticking with us and come back for the next episode.